Okay. Shit, <laughs> Acid pops. Thanks for telling everybody my <laughs> password. <laughs> Better watch this ice pad. Ice pad? <laughs> <laughs> the iPads of the Northern Wilder tribe. Mm. Mm. y'all this is the queer archive a queer and feminist doctor who podcast i'm brenna and i'm caitlin and this week we're talking about kill the moon and this is your friendly reminder of spoilers okay so let's pull to open to talk about our initial thoughts initial reactions what do you think um i feel like i have a weird relationship to this episode because i think i normally enjoy watching it but i don't like the conclusions that it draws completely fair just a little bit of an anti-abortion narrative happening here Mm. i think i like about like two things in this episode very strongly (laughs) yeah and they kind of allow for a pretty generous memory of this whole entire episode Mm. so besides the whole continuation of courtney being a disruptive influence and you know up to no good narrative at the beginning after that she has a really good rest of the episode she's Mm -hmm. Pretty much spending the whole time just being a whole hero, and I'm totally here for it. Yeah. And then Clara, she has an amazing speech at the end where yes. she tells off the doctor, and I'm also here for that because he totally deserves he it. He deserves this it. Yeah. So because of those two things, I enjoy this episode, and I remember enjoying this episode, but then also sitting and watching it this <laughs> last time, I was like, oh, there's so much <laughs> icky stuff in here. Yesterday, you turned to me and you were like... I thought I liked this episode. (laughs) Am I remembering correctly? (laughs) This is the closest I get in Doctor Who to turning my brain off to enjoy something. Yeah. This episode. I don't know why my brain chooses this episode, (laughs) but it does. It's the one. Yeah. But we will get into it and talk about some icky stuff. Yeah. But at the same time, I never skip this episode. I generally like it. Yeah. It's not one of the ones that I'm like, let's watch Kill the Moon. But if it's the next that we're watching, I'm not like, ugh. I'm usually like, oh, all right. It's not like in the forest of the night or whatever. Why would you bring that up? Because it's coming. <laughs> You'll have plenty of time where we have to talk about that. All right. Listen, who do we have to speak to around here about all these anti-abortion vibes? I just want to talk. Pretty sure we have to go to the High Council of Gallifrey for that. Okay. Production folks, who we got? So the writer is Peter Harness. Right. Zygons? Yes. The two-parter? Yes. And then Pyramid at the End of the World? Monk Trilogy. (laughs) I think uh, we can safely say that this is a theme in his episodes then. Just the idea of making real bad metaphors and drawing some pretty icky conclusions. Yeah. I don't think we can speak to Peter Harness's intentions because authorial intent doesn't matter anyways. The author is dead. But we can talk about the episodes themselves. And they will, I think the common strain is that they take a metaphor and then use them to unpack some, I think, gross implications about current social issues. And I don't care for that. No. They're really trying. Like, they think they're doing something smart, for sure. Zygons, they definitely think they're yeah. doing something smart. And they almost do. So almost. Close. We'll get there. That's for yeah, next yeah. season we us to worry about. Save it. <laughs> but 
anyways, there's parts of his episodes that are super well done, super enjoyable, and then parts not so much. Yep. And he also initially wrote this episode actually in 2011 for Matt Smith, which feels right and true. I could definitely see it. This is an 11 episode. Yeah, right on brand for him, to be honest. Yes. In his more unhealthy moments, let's say. Yeah, I think I know I can feel somebody prepping to crawl into my menchies about this, but I don't care. I always found 11 more manipulative than 12 is, which is, I think, why in deep breath when 12 is describing Clara, but Clara thinks that he's describing himself, and he says that person would need to be an egomaniac, needy game player sort of person. That is 11. A little bit. This whole plot of Kill the Moon, I think, is that kind of, like, manipulative nastiness that I didn't care for. Yeah, it feels very much Eleven keeping the secret from Amy that she's been a ganger the whole time. Yeah. And that whole storyline. Like, why? Why would you do that to your friend? I don't really remember why they justify it, but (laughs) this is your friend. Yeah, yeah. And that's what gets me so much about this episode, which we will get into. But it's not him just doing this to anybody, an acquaintance. It's his best friend. He does this to Clara, his best friend. How dare you? Mm. Anyways, okay. What else we got? Moffat, when he hired him for this episode, he told Peter Harness to, and I quote, Hinchcliffe the shit out of it, which is referring back to Peter Hinchcliffe, who was the showrunner from 74 to 77. That's the fourth Doctor of the Tom Baker era. So if you're watching mm-hmm. this and you're like, this feels a little classic some old school vibes, that's why, because Harness was taking his cues from an old showrunner. Oh. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And then this episode is directed by Paul Wilmshurst, who also does the next episode, Mummy on the Orient Express. Yeah. And also Last Christmas. No. (laughs) Anyways, fuck these guys. Let's go to the Black Archive so we can drag them from here to the end of the universe. Hey. All right. So the Black Archive is where we talk about all the fun, dangerous stuff like race, class, sexuality, gender, bodies, only the best things. What do we want to talk about first? Obviously, we got to talk about the abortion commentary that's happening here. Yeah, and it's written by a white dude. Get wrecked, man. Just get fucking wrecked. We need to say that the crisis of the episode is, do you kill, Mm. quote unquote, an innocent life in order to save life on Earth? And that's how I know it's an abortion story, because they're talking... They're talking about killing the baby. It's just a baby, Courtney says. You can't blame a baby for kicking. Oh, my God. There's actually, like, at least three or four times where somebody says, it's just a baby. It's just a baby. An innocent life? Yeah, this is how I know it's an abortion tale. Yeah, he at one point literally writes, it's your choice, womankind. Which is why Peter Harness can get fucking wrecked. And on top of that, the person that's being framed as the villain in the episode is a woman with an ambitious career who doesn't have children and she lacks warmth. Yeah. You know, it's just a whole heap of garbage. Ugh. And I think this episode is trying to use that the abortion tale to challenge utilitarian ethics, which drives us to choose that which helps the most and hurts the least. Or another way to think of it is what does the most good for the least cost? And it is conflating these two points. And I'm just going to say you should save debating utilitarian ethics for the good place, Harness. Stay in your lane, man. Stay in your lane. Later, they they ask for a vote. They're like, I have an idea. Let's take a vote. Takes the vote. Fuck that vote. Let's make our own decisions. Yeah, so fuck abortion access and fuck Fuck democracy. democracy. (laughs) 
cool, 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 cool. Our country is broken. Great. God. And I just have to say, for the record, we here at the Queer Archive are pro-abortion access. There's loads of research that shows if you want to reduce the number of abortions, the best way to do that is by making abortion access easy. And there's lots of Safe. research. Yeah. Yeah. Accessible. Affordable. And the research that suggests that having access to abortion actually reduces the number drastically also suggests that having abortion access safe, easy, and legal also reduces the number of teen pregnancies, the number of STD infections, and it also lowers the crime rate, which is why I say... Fuck this episode. At least, fuck the anti-abortion notes of this episode. Yeah, because again, like, we don't hate this episode. No. But. This is why I'm saying I have a weird relationship to this episode, because when I watch it, I'm like, I'm having a good time. But then when I think about it, I'm like, I want to burn this shit down. That's fair. (laughs) This is it, fam. This is it, our grand Latinx representation on Doctor Who. Wow. Unfortunately, we're all dead. Mm. But we were there. And you know how we know we were there? Ponchos. Because ponchos. That's Ponchos right. on chairs. That doesn't sound even remotely correct. Uh, yeah, they just strategically placed some flags and some ponchos so that you knew Mexicans were here. At one point, they literally just had some red fucking cups next to some green fucking cups next to some white paper. It's Get the it? flag. It's the flag Get colors. It. There's also, don't forget the cacti, which would cacti survive in space? They're magic cacti. No, they're for sure plastic. That shit they got from the dollar store. <laughs> or the equivalent of the dollar store in Britain. Who I don't is know. the fucking set dresser? They oh. saw the script and it said Mexican Mining Company and they were like, don't worry. I've got this. Sure, Jan. And here's the thing. This wasn't for us. This was not for the Latinx fans watching. Because if Mexicans were really there, they would have brought along some Vicks. (laughs) I don't care how far in the future this was or this is supposed to be. There would definitely be mad vapor rub in this place. Mm. All you had to do is leave a couple of those jars lying around and we would have known. Maybe some leftover molding pozole in a country crop tub and we would have known. (laughs) <laughs> seriously like where are the 27 pairs of chunklas where is the vix you're telling me mexican astronauts went into space <laughs> countless unknown dangers awaiting them and they didn't bring just heaps of magic menthol medicine mm. this is a lie someone lied Mentirosa. <laughs> or shit fabuloso that bottle of cleaner courtney sprays the spider bacteria with you know? yeah could have been fabuloso Damn who. Missed opportunity. Fucked it. That's why they need a Mexican in the writing room. They need any people of color in the writing <laughs> Like any. <laughs> uh, anyways, I'll get off my Latinx representation soapbox. Let's talk about Bechtel and DuVernay tests. I mean, it passes the Bechtel test, but does it count if they're all basically spouting anti-abortion shit the whole episode? I say not. It technically it passes, I guess, but... Well, this is a good point to bring up about when things pass Bechtel or Duvernay yeah. test. It doesn't mean they're not misogynist. Yeah. Or it doesn't mean that they're, they're not, not sexist or racist. Yeah. So does it pass the Duvernay test? That is the question. Mm. Yeah, I think it does a way better job at that yeah. than the Bechtel. I mean, again, it passes the Bechtel, but it's some bullshit. <laughs> and again, Courtney has a pretty decent episode. So. Yes. 
Yeah. I think, again, the DuVernay test asks, is there a character who's a person of color? Do they have a name? But also, most importantly, are they functioning as more than a, like a prop or an object in the world of the white characters? And I think that there are two moments for me that make me feel like, yes, Courtney has been given a rich inner life. She has will. She has volition. She has desires. Which is, at the beginning, when she tells the doctor, you really think it. You think I'm nothing. Which shows me that she has insecurities and that she has... Like, there is some sort of inner life happening there. And also, when she requests to come back to help, because she wants she wants to help, and she wants to help people make the right decision. I feel like that's enough right. for me. Again, it's not a strong pass, just like Time Heist last week, but it's enough that it makes her seem like an actual person, and not just like, and now here I am to help facilitate the white people's journey in this episode. Right. We see what she's anxious about. We see what she's excited about. Yeah. Uh, she's agency. And she's being kind of being a hero. Yep. And I'm here for that. Yeah. Okay. I'll give it to him. Okay. Well, this place will just... It'll all have to go in a cleansing fire. Let's burn it all down and we can get out of here by jumping into the heart of the TARDIS. I'm on it. And while this shit burns, we can listen to a word from our sponsors. Sounds good. This podcast is brought to you by Woods Brand Clean and Fresh. In our ever-expanding universe we get to see some of the most beautiful and fascinating sights as we travel. And we also encounter new and terrifying germs. However, with a bottle of Woods Brand Clean and Fresh by your side, you can always rest easy that your helmet will be clean and your body will be safe from even the most toughest germs out there. Because our trademarked formula kills 99% of all known germs. When you're in the woods and need a fresh start, trust Clean and Fresh. Heart of the TARDIS. Let's talk about the feels. Go. The Doctor. He's being a pretty condescending asshole in this episode, isn't he? Yeah, he's being a dick. Mm. Do not like. Yeah, I think this episode is mostly interested in making us debate what is the threshold for treating a friend badly. Yeah. Like, how, how long do you tolerate someone's bad behavior? I guess is another way to think of that. Okay, tell me more. Well, I think Clara's Absolutely 100% right to be like, get the fuck out of my face. No, I will not do your emotional labor for you. You need to leave and go away. She's trying to tell him, I feel unsafe. You're making me feel uncomfortable and unsafe and not like your friend. Yeah. You're putting me in a position that feels unlike what our relationship usually is. Yep. And you're not reading my signals. You're not, like, you're making me feel really bad. And he just keeps doing it. He keeps doing he it. Leaves. And And... Like, you can just hear the panic you can hear the betrayal in her voice as yeah. she's like, doctor, don't you dare. Yeah, and it's interesting in Flatline, he's going to be like, no one should have to think like this. But he literally makes her think like this in this episode because the stakes are very high. It's not one life versus a- another. It is yeah. one very large life, the egg, versus all of human life because that's what they're talking about could we live without the tides could we live without satellites could we live without cell phones like it's a huge decision and she's saying i don't feel equipped to make it and he just leaves her yeah that's shitty he just puts her in a intense rough position to put her in an intense rough position yeah it's like the crucible trial by fire i don't like it like no it's shitty 
I think that ultimately what this episode is concluding is if a friend asks you for help, even if you don't think they should need the help, you should give it. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Because I think it's more about the how he treats her Mm -hmm. in this episode and less so about the what he does. And and he does think that this is an important decision for, you know, humankind to make themselves, which is a great sentiment. But did you have to perform that in such a way that betrays a friendship at the same time? And in such a way that belittles a friend of yours that treats them like they're less than and treats them like they all of the things that Clara says later it was cheap it was I don't think she uses the word paternal but she uses the word patronizing yeah and And he this is where like last week we were saying if they had actually like named him as they'd actually said 12 is neurodivergent he receives social information differently then that scene would read very differently because I do think that 12 is admittedly quite bad at reading social situations so I don't think he really understands just how bad he's fucked it until Clara's literally saying you need to go away go a long way away because you can see on his face or at least how Peter Capaldi is playing it is that he literally he thought he did good he thought he did the right thing and then as that conversation's unfolding at the end he's like oh god no it went so bad but Clara's (laughs) telling him you don't treat friends that way and I don't have to teach you why that's wrong that's up to you. Yeah, my my issue with it is less that, you know, he's reading the situation poorly. It's that he, when she is telling him way beyond or way before that moment, she tells him many times in many ways, I don't feel safe in, in this position that you're putting me in already. And it's his insistence that he is so beyond questioning and he insist that he is right and that this is the right thing yeah it's that insistence on i know what's best and i'm already in a position where you can't question it and yeah. you're already wrong you're already frivolous you're already this silly human that's not getting it so i have to teach you a lesson time to take your training wheels off your bike yeah so i totally understand not being able to read subtle cues from people's body language or people's tone yeah but this goes beyond that Because Clara, he has gotten to know Clara as a friend before this. And he is truly, like, intentionally trying to treat her in a really specific way that is belittling. Yeah. And this is where it's like, this is probably why I feel so split about this episode. Mm -hmm. Because I think that conclusion is right. That this episode is saying, you can't tell somebody else how they feel. And you can't then, after the interaction is over, be like, oh, well, that wasn't a big deal. When the other person says, no, fuck you, it was a big deal. That's trespassed my boundary, and I am not okay with it. You can't then be like, why are you freaking out? So I think that that's the half of this episode that I do like, that she lays down her boundary and she says, no, you fucked up. That was awful. You have broken my trust in you, and I need you to leave. That's good. Yeah, she does an amazing job at that. Cars the shit. And she holds it in. She's like, I'm not going to just go off in front of my student because this whole fucking time you have made me be calm and collective in an impossible situation in front of my student. Yep. And I'm going to make sure she gets home safely and gets to class. And then as soon as she's gone and we are alone together, I'm going to tell you how I feel because I've been trying to keep it it together together this whole entire time. And like earlier in the episode, she asked Courtney, are you all right? Because it's okay mm-hmm. if you're not all right. Which like, is also extremely that's fine. amazing. Yeah. 
Clara's the best. Yeah. It's just a bummer that she gets treated like that. Yep. I don't like it. It doesn't seem like their relationship. Like, no, I, it this just is doesn't why I say seem it feels natural. more like yeah. feels more like a Matt Smith episode than it does like a Peter Capaldi episode to me. All right then, what are we gonna send to a crack in time and space? You can't blame a baby for kicking. Mmm, eat glass. Get the fuck out of here with that garbage. Get the fuck out. Need I say more? No. Bye, round them out to that. Bitch. Favorite three moments? Uh, three women getting the superhero run with the yeah. fire going off behind them. Yeah. Inject it directly into my veins. Yeah. I love it. Conceptually. And actually. For how condescending this episode tended to be at yeah. times where they're like, ha yeah. women talking to women and being heroes. You see what we did? We're so cool. I will say that that particular scene was my shit. Yeah, it's like the first, what is it, 10 minutes of Wonder Woman when all the Amazons are running onto the beach. Oh, the only good part of Wonder Literally, Woman. Literally, <laughs> yeah. But the part when Robin Wright rides in on the horse and then she jumps up and does the three arrows at once literally makes me cry when I watch it Fuck because yes. women never get to be badass superheroes like that. This is in that same neighborhood. It doesn't make me cry, but it gives me the same like, <laughs> yes. Yeah. What about you? Uh... Oh, my God. Clara saying. Tell me what you knew, Dr. Russell. Smack you so hard you regenerate. That whole that whole Damn. speech is like, yes, good. All right. Can I add one more? Yeah. <laughs> Capaldi. Ah, <laughs> uh, Capaldi. Saying, she's fine. She's, what are you, 35? <laughs> and she's like, I'm 15, bro. Like, <laughs> come on. And then Clara just... <laughs> Clara's not even in focus what in the shot. What is wrong with you? <laughs> She's not even in focus. She's like out in the background. You can see her being like, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Shaking her head yeah. like, who made you? Why are you like this? Why are you like this? <laughs> oh. Oh, gosh. So much shade. The yeah. shade of it all. The shade. Well, I guess uh, we can kill this episode on Kill the Moon. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Archive Pod. We want to hear from you. Tell us your thoughts and feels on this episode or on anything Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. Until next time. Be gay. Burn it all in a cleansing fire. Yeah. Tune on your speakers and please be my doctor, whoever. Yeah. Would you like to yell at the moon with Buzz Aldrin? Yes, please. I own you! You dumb moon! I walked on your face! Don't you know it's day?